Welcome to the Michigan in Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. And we ask you to subscribe to Michigan in Focus wherever you listen to your podcast. And we're recording today's podcast on Thursday, July 28th, 2022. Joining me today, as he does every week, is Michigan correspondent Scott McClellan. How are you doing today, Scott? Doing great, Bruce. How are you? Well, I'm doing pretty well. We're getting close to the weekend. Uh, we have a paycheck coming in, and it's the end of July. And, well... There seems to be a lot of fish that have not been harassed thus far this summer in Michigan. So I'm going to do my very best to see what I can't do to remedy that that situation. How about you? Big plans? Don't have a ton of plans, but uh, just curious, how long does fishing season usually run? I do catch and release trout fishing. So um, basically, most rivers you can fish year round. Uh, the standard season is the last weekend of April to the last week and of September. So getting close is getting down to the wire. It's kind of a small window that we have there. Yeah. Michigan summers seem to fly by. Right. Exactly. So uh, big happenings here in Michigan. We've got a, a primary election next week and there's a lot of things that uh, kind of play into that because well in an election year everything is political so and a lot of people are looking for a lot of money uh, as well you just posted a story and uh, i'd like to start with that one and um it's the despite record funding for our schools Many school districts are seeking additional millages and sinking funds and renewed millages. And walk me through that one, Scott. So Michigan schools received about $6 billion of federal funds from the government uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, But on August 2nd, uh, school districts are seeking additional funds. So there are about 850 school districts and they are seeking more money from taxpayers, uh, what either to renew a millage or to add to a millage or for a sinking fund uh, for certain capital projects. But the okay. problem is... Mm-hmm. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, you're fine. The problem is, is that over the last two decades, Michigan public schools have lost students. So in the 2010 to 2011 school year, Michigan had 1.6 million students. But in 2022, there are about 1.4 million students. So there are 158,000 fewer Michigan students. And on top of record funding, a lot of these schools are still saying we need more money. Okay, well, give us uh, some examples of that, if you would. So Clio area schools are seeking two uh, separate proposals. Uh, you're not a Michigan, Michigan man, are you? I am not. It's Clio. Uh, well, yeah, yeah they... Uh, Clio is yeah, the muse probably, of history, yes. 
So uh, that school is seeking $3 million for operating costs. And uh, in 2020, uh, Genesee County voters approved uh, $40 million in spending for uh, one of their schools. But most of these uh, millage renewals are just seeking uh, to raise money for capital projects. Right. Well, and, and I guess what it, my, my immediate takeaway is, I mean, just last week, you and I had a very lengthy conversation about how much money was being poured into the state education system. And uh, the the governor and legislators were, were, you know, boasting that they had increased funding, you know, precipitously for uh, for education in the state. And I mean, we were looking at how many billions of dollars for state education. I believe it was about $21 billion, $21 million. And, uh, here we have schools who, um, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. And, um, if you recognize that I'm, I'm incorrect in, in talking out my hat, uh, I, I hope that you will be so kind as to correct me, but it just seems that uh, it's once you get addicted to the, the drug of money that your hand is constantly out asking for more. I mean, is, is that seem like a fair assessment or is, is the tremendous influx of federal dollars necessary and uh, certainly it's desired, but uh, is it really necessary? That's a difficult question. Uh, I think I will be able to answer it better more when some of my Freedom of Information Act requests come in detailing how many of these schools spent uh, a lot of federal dollars uh, because some of them, uh, there were there was some restrictions on the money uh, but I think that information will help illuminate better whether some of these uh, schools really do need the money or if they're just trying to continually get money from taxpayers. Uh, I did look through some of these schools. Uh, a lot of them have requested millage increases in the last couple of years. So at Wayland Uni Union School is seeking $48 million from taxpayers and general obligation bonds. Uh, in 2017, Allegan County voters had already approved $19 million for other capital improvements. So the real question for me is, what's the return on taxpayer dollars for these improvements? And are they really necessary for kids' education? Or are we just making pretty buildings? <laughs> well, I mean, it is kind of nice to have a, a building where the... HVAC systems are all operable that, so that uh, students are warm in the winter and cool in the warmer months, uh, can focus on their studies and everything. But uh, still in all, uh, it does seem that uh, there's, there's constantly a prettification effort going on in, in some of these, uh, in some school districts. Certainly there are some that uh, have necessary uh, building improvements and and what have you infrastructure improvements that are, that are necessary so let, let's move along just a little bit because we kind of have limited time and i just conducted a uh, uh podcast with ben yount 
uh, for Wisconsin. And we turned the whole conversation onto one topic. And I, I certainly don't want to do that for every podcast that we record. So let's talk about one of my, well, I, I, I can't, I can't say the word. It's that, that, that town that is down the road from East Lansing. And uh, apparently there's a, a, a school there, a, a, a larger university. Are, are you picking up what I'm putting down there? Could be, could be several universities, I think. Well, the one that's just down the road, just south of uh, East Lansing, um, they, they have, um, uh, they, I think they call themselves Wolverines. The Ann Arbor Transportation Authority is seeking um, more money. And talk to me about that. Despite losing about 5 million riders since 2017, the Ann Arbor Area Transportation Authority is seeking a $28.8 million tax hike over five years on the August 2nd primary ballot that would fall on property owners in the cities of Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti, and Ypsilanti Township. So if approved, uh, the the net additional levy would be 1.68 mills, and those would be active in 2024. Ridership has uh, dropped off pretty sharply after 2017. So uh, in 2017, the group reported a ridership of just under 7 million. But in 2021, uh, that number dropped to about 1.7 million, or so, excuse me, 1.7 million riders. So uh, the the effect of the pandemic and remote work has definitely appears to uh, have affected their ridership. Right. Well, it, it, remote work, but as well, uh, remote education. Uh, a lot of classes are being performed online still. Uh, there's an old song by a, a band from Akron, Ohio, back in the 70s, uh, said I could rule the world if I could only find the parts. And I certainly am not so arrogant as to believe I have a simple solution to everything. But uh, $22 million for more or less what is bus transportation in a town like, again, I'm having difficulty saying Ann Arbor, is it, it, it seems to be what they're hoping for is if you build it, they will come if you invest the money into it and you put more money into expanding routes and uh, adding routes to the existing system that uh, suddenly the light bulb will come over University of Michigan students' heads and they will all start migrating towards the bus stop that will take them to their classes on campus. Yeah, I think that is the intention, I, it's just hard to say uh, whether the trend of remote work and schooling will continue and uh, if riders will come back to public transportation. Okay, well, let's let's move on even further. Here's another story that you wrote. Okay, bouncing from that town, we will go to the big city. We'll go to uh, southeastern Michigan and we'll Talk about the Detroit City Council. And this is uh, something that they've, uh, they put the vote off, they put the vote off, and finally, finally they voted. And uh, it's a $60 million tax break for Bedrock, which is uh, like the parent company of Rocket Mortgage. Yeah, and uh, that $60 million tax break would be, uh, it's over 10 years. And uh, the, the switched vote follows after uh, new commitments to the community. So a little bit of background. 
in June, uh, Detroiters pushed back on and delayed the vote over giving uh, the company owned by Rocket Financials, Dan Gilbert, who Forbes says is worth uh, $15.6 billion, a tax break. However, uh, Bedrock swung the vote by offering some more things to the community. So, for example, they offered to dedicate 20% of the ground level retail space in the Hudson site to small businesses and uh, support those small businesses with $1 million to support their growth and development. Bedrock also offered to invest $5 million in projects to support the Neighborhood Improvement Fund, uh, which includes like recreation, parks, and affordable housing. Uh, they also offered to uh, provide what they call a one-stop shop to improve uh, digital literacy. So that includes uh, spending $1 million on a tech call center where Detroiters can call with problems, uh, tech problems. Maybe they're seeking to, to uh, see if they qualify for cheaper internet or a cheaper laptop. The Bedrock also said they will support programs in 22 neighborhoods to teach financial literacy and to warn about elder scams. They also said that they would commit to a pipeline from Detroit schools into tech jobs in their uh, family of companies. And the last thing they committed to make 30% of Bedrock housing be affordable housing at 60% of the area median income. Now, do you know whether there would be any penalty that Bedrock would pay if they reneged on any of those commitments? No, I don't. I need to look further into it. Uh, those additional commitments did uh, earn the swing vote, but there were other uh, four council members still voted no. Uh, council member uh, Angela Whitfield Callaway said that the subsidy was a, quote, disservice to taxpayers. Wait a minute. There, there's someone on the Detroit City Council <laughs> that 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 even recognizes taxpayers. Yes. Much less, much less is looking out for their 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 benefit. That's that that's that's your news peg right there. So, um, yeah, that, that that's uh, very interesting. So um, let's move forward. I think we have time for maybe one more story. And this is something that you're going to have to help me out. I wrote this story and published it on Wednesday, but there's. Um, a lot of background that you have written on. So I, I would consider you to be more the subject matter expert on this than I. And that is the Michigan Unemployment Insurance Agency. And uh, it was granted approval by the U.S. Department of Labor to halt about 400,000 state tax return intercepts and new wage garnishments for ineligible unemployment claims that were made during the COVID-19 pandemic. And there, there's, a, there's a long, lengthy history. Uh, I've been sitting in this chair for the past three years, and you've been here just a little bit longer. So we remember when all of a sudden the Unemployment Insurance Agency, the UIA, was inundated with unemployment claims. And then there was a tremendous influx of federal dollars through the COVID-19 programs when the pandemic hit in uh, March of 2020. So um, give us a little bit of a background on that, Scott. Because, uh, I mean, when, when all is said and done, uh, I fully anticipate you to write your second book on 
the travails of the UIA in Michigan. I'll have to get working on that one. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we've, we've basically been covering this for over two years now. And whenever the COVID pandemic first started and uh, Michigan government shut down much of the economy, the UIA was completely inundated, flooded with claims. And uh, so were many other states. But on top of real Michiganders seeking unemployment money, uh, there were a lot of scammers, uh, some in the United States and even some professional groups that would target states with weak and aging unemployment systems. And they would just uh, completely batter the mainframe with claims. And it got to a point where the UIA, uh, they were so backed up that they just started approving claims that even if they seemed fraudulent. So uh, in that, that was the way that some, uh, you know, alleged Michigan celebrities, I, I believe uh, Kim Kardashian of Traverse City was one of those. Uh, a lot of people got taxpayer money. And that's one thing. We still don't know how much Michigan taxpayer money was lost, uh, was paid out in fraudulent claims. We know some of them, but we don't know all of them. Right. And and not all of them were fraudulent. However, there were uh, uh, also criminal elements that were hired by the UIA to handle the overflow of claims that they had. And uh, when some of their background checks showed that they were, uh, that had felony records or misdemeanor records and they were let go, uh, they took with them their passwords and were still able to access the UIA mainframe. Yeah, and some of these people had been convicted of felonies, um, you know, <laughs> fraud, uh, and we uh, and a lot of them weren't even given background checks. So it makes sense that there would be so much fraud. And uh, there were even people working in the UIA, working with outside groups to uh, approve claims. So it was it was a real mess. And we're still dealing with the fallout of that, of uh, whether the UIA is uh, clawing back some money. And uh, this is still kind of following that process. Well, pretty much the same thing is happening with some of these uh, claims. And and again, not all of these claims were, were fraudulent. We're, we should make that perfectly clear. Uh, some individuals were actually paying this back, but now their repayments are being postponed, stalled, or forgiven entirely uh, simply because, I mean, if, if you're going to pushback repayment on student loans, I imagine unemployment uh, benefits that were erroneously granted uh, might fall into the same type of category from a uh, uh, syntactical sense, I, I, I suppose. But uh, you, what you didn't talk about, Scott, and uh, is also, the what happened with the former uh, director of the UIA, Stephen Gray, because he 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 took a, a nice little golden parachute on his way out the door and left when everything when the UIA was in absolute shambles. Yeah, I believe they were record claims, and uh, he he got out of there with a, a good chunk of taxpayer money. I don't remember what the exact amount was. 
as I recall, it was like $85,000. Yeah. And oh man, not a, not a bad paycheck for someone <laughs> leaving a place riddled with problems. Well, yeah, not, not only was there erroneous claims, uh, there was a lot of individuals who were actually eligible to file claims and they waited and they waited and they waited months, sometimes more than a year to receive some type of unemployment compensation from the state. So it, it was, you know, a lot of the the uh, blame was put at the feet of antiquated systems and, and, and what have you. But let's let's uh, move this into the present day on Wednesday, the 27th, the, the, the feds, because they, they have to approve all of those benefits because it came from federal dollars in the first place. So the UIA is required to collect all the overpayments from federally funded programs but uh, the, the, the feds have uh, granted those suspensions. And I, again, what was the number? It was about 400,000 and uh, applicable to everything but uh, claims that were determined to be fraudulent or being investigated for fraud, uh, state, un state unemployment insurance program overpayments. So that's from the state unemployment, not the feds and delinquent debts owed to other states or federal agencies. So um, those are pretty narrow categories, I, I would think. So uh, this is on top of what happened last week. And uh, you and I reported this, that the UIA had granted waivers for 7,300 overpayment claims that totaled $53.2 million. And the UIA applied $431 million in waivers in May. So all told, the UIA has forgiven $482.4 million on 62,200 claims thus far this year, and it's waived more than $4.35 billion. That's about $4.5 billion for more than 407,300 claims since July 2021. Wow. I wonder uh, when, they'll, when they'll catch up or if they're, they're <laughs> done, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, remains to be seen, but uh, I'm sure there will be far more to report on this coming down the pike. So thank you, Scott. I do appreciate your taking the time to speak with me today and kind of uh, uh, explain some of the news stories, some of the, the the whatnot that is going behind the scenes and some of the stories that uh, uh we're doing some of the reporting here in Michigan that I don't think any of the other news outlets are really approaching. And that's dealing with stories from a taxpayer perspective. So, Scott, thank you so much. And Scott McClellan is the Center Square's Michigan reporter. Michigan in Focus is powered by the Center Square and is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Listen for another episode of Michigan in Focus next week.